Druids and cars go into festivals. They can chat about things. It's a druid podcast in cars. Sometimes the best parts of festivals are the discussions that surround them, reflections on what we did and heard, anticipation of what's to come, and processing what it all means in relation to our spiritual work. We wanted to help either introduce you to that phenomenon or extend it for you. That's what this is about. I'm Reverend Jana Vende. And I'm Reverend Michael J. Dangler. We're priests of Arnriach Fane and members of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. We're recording these sessions actually live in cars, actually going to festivals and events, so you will hear road noise, turn signals, and navigation prompts. But that's part of what makes it fun. So... Sit back and enjoy Druids in Cars going to festivals. Hey, Jan. Hey, Michael. So you just got back from a festival, eh? I sure did. Where'd you go? I went to Appalachian Summer Solstice at the Wisteria Campground down uh, kind of near Athens, Ohio. Yeah, I've been down there a couple of times. It's, a, it's an interesting camp. It's, if I recall correctly, kind of crescent shaped almost well yeah it's in a reclaimed um strip mine so they've they've been there since the 90s maybe um but have been essentially letting the land heal um (laughs) but it's a huge site and only a small portion of it is the campground but it's kind of like S-shaped more than crescent-shaped, um, but the the campsite itself is down in the, it's down in a ravine. So there's like you drive in and you're up a level, and then you drive down into the ravine where all the campground stuff is, and then if you go down, like over another cliff, like then there's more ravine down there. So and no uh, reception. And don't go wandering around in the dark because you will walk off a cliff. <laughs> um, but they do really great. They put they have golf courts that run the length of the campground, which, holy cow, I misjudged how big I thought it was and revised my estimate to, like, triple the size of Tredara, maybe from, like, end from parking lot to Elder Nemeton. Mm-hmm. Like, triple that at least. Yeah. Um, it's, it's big. Um, but they have golf carts that run, and they line the main pathway with tiki torches um so like you can see all like wherever you're walking at night you can see where you're going without a flashlight as long as you're on the path which is nice it is good yeah i've only spent a couple of a couple of nights there over over the time that i've been to wisteria but it's been several years yeah i hadn't been since 2015 which was when i brought my older kiddo when they were like two or three um, the Grove was asked to do the opening right, the main right, and the closing right that year. And I remember it was 2015 because it was the year that I was ordained, but it was before I got my stole. Mm-hmm. So it was like super liminal weird. Um, but so that was the last time I went and I remember enjoying it, but feeling kind of out of place. Yeah. Um, and it was, and I'd been a couple of times before that, both to, the summer solstice celebration they have, as well as um, I went to Starwood one year. Um, And I will tell you that there have been a lot of improvements to the campground 
since I was there in 2015 to now. Um, so Wisteria has a kids village that they staff for all of their, uh, all the events that they, they hold there. And it is, so when in 2015, it was like a single playground and a 10 by 10 pop-up with like crossed wooden rails for mm -hmm. a quote fence. Yeah. Now it's a fully chain link fenced in area with a full playground, a big like kind of carnival top looking hmm. 10 by 20 tent and some picnic tables and a fire ring and just all kinds of craft supplies. Um, and they had full kids programming from eight to five every day. That is really nice. <laughs> so like I took my kid because I knew they had a kid village, so I knew there'd be at least some coverage. So I, I took my kid, and uh, they spent the whole time we were there making new friends. It was, they had age-appropriate activities for the littlest that were there were probably three or so. Um, and I think mine and one or two others were the oldest. Um, but as far as, like, age-appropriate activities spanned the whole thing, and they were all engaged the whole time. Nice. Um, it was just phenomenal. At one point, I asked them, I was like, you're old enough to go to the like the, the learning how to drum for drum circle lessons um, workshop. And they're like, no, I'm going to go back and hang out with my new friends. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. So they spent the whole day every day doing that, and which let me take the opportunity to go to workshops I wanted to do, to take a nap, to spend time socializing. Like, it was just really, really nice. Good. Oh. I'm glad. What, uh, what kinds of things did they do? What, what, what were the workshops that you enjoyed most? Um, so probably my favorite was I went to one on osteomancy, which is fancy for bone throwing. Um, it was presented by a guy named River, who I think is in Wisconsin. He um, he and his partner own the shop Moonbees, uh, which we can throw the link in the, the notes. Yep, uh, I should be able to find it. <laughs> I, I found it, so I'm yeah, sure yeah. we can find it. Um, but so it was on bone throwing, and it was really, um, you know how sometimes, I'm always skeptical when I go to Pan Pagan events. Like, you don't know how like just off the wall some stuff's going to be. That's a good word for it. Um, which I think is one of the reasons I felt kind of out of place at Pan Pagan stuff before. Um, and I think I'm just more confident in my own practice now that I'm more willing to like authentically engage. Mm -hmm. But his workshop was really well organized. He talked about like a little bit about the history of where it's used, but then how to develop your own sets and how it's an open system of divination and um, how you have to walk the line between intuition and bullshit and just like all these things that go into the process of using an open divination set. Um, talked a little bit about uh, like the ethics of doing readings and the kinds of things you should and shouldn't do. Like it was just a really well done workshop. Yeah, and when you say open set of divination versus a, a closed set. Yeah. Um, you mean open as in there are a variety of, of different ways to interpret things and there's not like a set of individualized symbols. Right. So the way that the way that he does it is 
his set always contains four rib bones um, that are different colors so that he can tell them apart. Um, and other than that, it kind of shifts. Mm -hmm. So what I found really interesting was that his like his bone set and a it's it's called a bone kit, but everything that's in it is not doesn't necessarily have to be a literal bone. Yeah, like it can be a feather or stone, a feather or stone, or a dried flower or mm -hmm. whatever, right? Um, but his bone kit. Um, what I found really interesting was that it's an accepted part of his practice and perhaps the practice generally that the contents of that kit changes based on like what ends up calling to you. And so he was telling a story about how he had a piece of, I think, smoky quartz, he said, or maybe rose quartz uh, that represented like heart right? Like courage, heart, that kind of thing. Um, and it came into a set for a while. And then, um, somebody who had come for a reading with him had had like a, a pet die or something. And that stone came up and like rolled into their lap during the reading. <laughs> and so he gave it to him because that was like, it had clearly served its purpose in his, in his kit. And so I just found it really interesting that things kind of move through based on what you what you need. Um, and so I, I bought a set of bones to start with. So I now have beaver rib bones, a beaver patella, a raccoon claw, and that might be all that came in my, my little starter kit. That's a good, good kit. And of course it would have a trash panda claw. Of course. <laughs> of, course. <laughs> of course. And, you know, he gets all of his stuff um, from people who collect roadkill. So like none of the animals are like raised for the purpose of <laughs> divination, yes. right? Like they're, they're ethically harvested and whatever, um, which is nice to know. Yeah. But uh, no, so I'm really excited to start diving into it because like, because I already do fire scrying and I already do oracular work, the concept of this, of an open set, um, I really like it. And, you know, he was really specific. He's like, you need to write down the meanings they have for you first so that you know what they mean to you and then go through and um, allow your intuition to start speaking to you after that. Nice. The last time that I was down at Wisteria was, well, maybe not the last time, but one of the last times I was down at Wisteria, we went... Um, we went down to do a rite um, as the grove. Uh, I think we did one of the, one of their main rites, and it stormed. I mean, like, it poured this weekend. <laughs> I, I I watched a uh, I watched a tornado float by off to the south as I was as I was doing <laughs> ritual and, and opening gates and things like that. And fortunately, the gates didn't open quite that much, but um, yeah, the the weather down there can be a little bit unpredictable. Um, but the rituals space is really nice. Well, and there's so many of them. I didn't actually make it to the main right because I had to be home for our Sunday morning grove ritual. Mm -hmm. Um, but I attended some other stuff. So I went to a, a non-binary healing circle, which was, it was, there were a handful of us. There were maybe like 
five to five to eight of us who went. Um, and it was actually in uh, the nematon that ADF built and used to tend. So like I had helped build that nematon and now coming back, what, seven years later or whatever, um, it's the spirit circle is what it's called now. Um, and it's a much more intimate setting, but it still has the ADF elements of firewell tree um, within it. And yeah, so it was, it was really, it was really interesting seeing the energy that had gone into that because like we had tied, when we built it, had tied the current into the magic of that circle. And mm -hmm. so going back down there and still being able to like, just kind of feel, feel it. Feel that initiatory um, Yeah. And so flow. like, that was really cool. And uh, it, it was just really nice to see that again. I didn't make it out past the stone circle, which is where the main rites have been. Um, just cause everything was so muddy with all the rain. I didn't go out further than that. But like, if you go out further, there's a pond that apparently has been completely drained and redone. Um, cause it used to be kind of sketch <laughs> and now it's apparently much nicer, but I didn't make it down to see. Um, and there's a, a fairy grove even further, which they decided was too dangerous to like the kids were supposed to do a fairy something. Um, and they were like, mm, it's not safe for them to walk down there. It's too muddy, too slippery. Yeah. Um, yeah. You don't want to twist your ankle and go in to see the fairies. That's no. Just, that doesn't work. Um, you went down with uh, one of our Grove members, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So you, you got to, was there anybody else that you knew when you were down there? I, so I'm. I randomly ran into um, someone who I had met at Wellspring this year. Oh, yeah? Um, who was also of the pan-pagan variety. So, like, he had popped into to Wellspring um, and had also just popped into Wisteria like he wasn't planning on going. Just, like, happenstance ended up able to be there. Um, beyond that, I mean... There were a couple of people I recognized from like Fire Tribe or from the past, but not, there was no one that I like knew. Yeah. Um, and our grove mate spent a lot of her day volunteering in the kitchen. And so I was like left to my own devices uh, most of the days. And I remember I, I messaged, uh, messaged some of my Barty folk and I was like, I was like, I found the queers because I found a whole group. That was one of the things that was really awesome about uh, going to Wisteria this year was that it was so radically gender inclusive that it was really nice to be able to experience that and meet people who both fit that were like part of that community, but also just be in a space where it was almost like that was the, I don't want to say the default, but it was, um, there was no weirdness about being not cishet. Yeah. Like none. Um, and so, and like I, I found a community of um, folks who, some of them I guess are shareholders at Wisteria. So like they are part of the organizing stuff and others had come from a little further out but just kind of being able to step into a pre-existing 
like queer safe space yeah it was really really nice it was good and i'm glad that it was welcoming as well because you know sometimes they aren't that happens yeah and and you know you, you don't really know what to expect and i will say like when i went to wisteria seven years ago i never felt that it wasn't welcome but going this time i felt very explicitly that it was so it's it's kind of that like tolerance to like embracing yeah. kind of shift um the, maybe the even acceptance to embracing yeah and it yeah. i really felt it it really felt good good yeah that that is on the whole that is what i hope we are all aiming yeah toward. and part of it you know i think part of it has to do that i don't know how actively they've They've worked to manage it, but Wisteria has a very, very strong culture of consent. Mm-hmm. Um, they People who are drinking get carded and get wristbands. So, like, everyone there had a wristband. They were either over 21 or under 21. Um, so, like, just kind of putting that on the up and up, right? Um, Wisteria has an amazing drum circle. It's called the Paw Paw Patch or Paw Paw. Um, and it is a drum circle that's, I don't know, probably 50 feet across, and uh, it's nestled in a grove of pawpaw trees, hence the name. But it has a really big bonfire every night, and then off to one side of it, there is like a A-frame shelter, kind of, that is full of a bunch of drums, both drums that people who have brought their drums come and play there, but they also have community drums, including the mother drum, which is like this huge bass drum. And so anyone can play it. They have a whole bunch of like auxiliary percussion, like shakers and tambourines and rattles and stuff. Um, and then there's another table that is just a giant cooler of water with cups. <laughs> and <Useful>. right. <laughs> and then they, they have designated fire tribe who they wear red suspenders. And so they are the only ones who are allowed to touch the fire. Like they're required to be sober they are required to have closed-toed shoes and long pants and fire gloves, like just all of these safety things. Um, but to this day, so Wisteria is a clothing optional campground. Yeah. Um, Paw is the only place I have ever felt comfortable enough to dance shirtless around a fire um, because it feels safe. Like yeah. it, it, there is just this culture of both like, openness and not having the weirdness about body right yeah but also the safety of knowing that no one's gonna mess with you mm-hmm. and and so just the fact that that they've managed to cultivate that and i and like i said i don't know if it's an explicit attempt or if it has organically happened but it's amazing i i don't generally expect that that happens <laughs> organically i think that is an intentional act um, just knowing what I know of how those things go. Um, I'm going to guess from what you're saying that you've got ideas percolating for Summerland as well out of this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, Summerland is also, is already like pretty well planned. So there may not be a lot this year, but, um, ideas as we look to future, right. As we look into future years, um, there are things that I think would be cool to to try and implement. Uh, 
Like they have, part of it is just the setup is going to be very yes. different between Wisteria and Summerland, like different One's campgrounds, different camp spaces, and, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, but they they had very clear, the people, so the group that I was hanging out with who I realized were shareholders, right? So they were on the team working the festival. Mm-hmm. They had very clear shifts. And um, so like when they were on duty, they had their walkie-talkie with them and <laughs> like the clock would tick over to 4 p.m. And, you know, one of them would pick up the walkie-talkie and be like, so-and-so here on shift now. If you need anything that I can fix, please let me know. <laughs> um, and then like as the clock ticked over to 11 p.m. or whatever, it was so-and-so off shift, your new boss is so-and-so. Like it was very clear um, like on time, off time which meant that the people running the festival were also really getting to enjoy it as well. Um, But yeah, there were definite ideas that I have for kids programming that I don't think we have critical mass yet to make that kind of thing happen. We're getting close. But, well, I mean with adults willing to help. That, yes. Uh, I don't mean with kids. I mean with adults willing to help. With kids were there, but yes, with adults. But they just had really, like, they did a wand making workshop. They did a clay offerings to the fairies workshop, which Wisteria is all clay. Like the, the ground itself yeah. is all red clay. So they just literally dug it up and made it out of dirt, right? Um, they, so they did offerings to the fairies. They made um, floral head crowns. Uh, they did an egg drop. Like just... A whole bunch of, you know, pretty simple materials activities that I think we could implement. Um, when I went to Wisteria seven years ago, it wasn't a here's the few people running Kids Village. It was you had like one or two people in charge of it. And then the essentially the, the work barter for it was if you were an adult dropping your kid off, you had to volunteer for a shift to help supervise, um, which would be more reasonable for us to manage. So I don't know, like I have thoughts there. Um, But yeah, most of what I've gotten honestly is because I attended a lot of workshops that are outside of my normal wheelhouse that I've got like ideas of stuff that I want to incorporate or like play with or that kind of thing. That's so, always fun. Yeah, like some new grounding and centering stuff, um, bone bone throwing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I went to I went to two workshops on brewing, which is like so far outside my wheelhouse, and I don't need a new hobby. But the science is really cool. It is really cool, <laughs> and <laughs> so like I don't know that may or may not happen. That's like a requires equipment that I would have to jury rig. Um, I mean, apparently Trillium's going to happen next year. I know. And there might even be a brewing competition at Trillium. So you're saying that I could brew something to bring to Trillium. Yes. So like the, the quickest meads that they were talking about take like five months. All right. So, so. You, you're, you're almost there. I'm just going to say <laughs> And then we can transport hooch across state lines. Oh, it'll be great. No, I'll bottle it. (laughs) I'll bottle it and cap it. It'll be great. (laughs) I look forward to it. 
Thanks for listening, and there's more to come. We welcome your ideas and questions. If there's something you would like to hear us discuss in a future episode, please drop us a line at druidsandcars at threecranes.org. If you'd like to donate, you can do so at threecranes.org slash donate. Druids and Cars Going to Festivals is a production of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. Our theme song's lyrics were written by Arthur Shipkowski, and the music is written and recorded by Mike Beershank. Learn more about our grove at threecranes.org, and more about druidry at adf.org. As always, keep circulating the tapes, and let us pray with a good fire.